0: Good morning, saints. This is week two in our sermon series on the glory of God. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom we call Father. There is something exceedingly improving to the mind in the contemplation of the divinity. It is a subject so vast that all of our thoughts are lost in its immensity. So deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. Other subjects we can compass and grapple with. And then we feel a kind of self-content and go our way with the thought, Behold, I am wise. But when we come to this master science, finding that our plumb line cannot sound its depth and that our eagle eye cannot see its height, we turn away. No subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than the thoughts of God. But while the subject humbles the mind, it also expands it. He who thinks often of God will have a larger mind than the one who simply plods around this narrow globe. The most excellent study for expanding the soul is the science of Christ of him crucified, and the knowledge of the Godhead and the glorious Trinity, nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of a man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation into the great subject of the deity. And while humbling and expanding, this subject is, em- is eminently consolatory oh there is in contemplating christ a balm for every wound in musing on the father there is a quietist for every grief and in the influence of the holy ghost there's a balsam for every sore would you lose your sorrow would you drown your cares Then go plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity and you will come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of sorrows and grief. So speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. It is to that subject that I invite you this morning. Those words were the introduction to a sermon that Charles Spurgeon preached in 1855 in London. He was 20 years old. Spurgeon would emerge as a prolific pastor and preacher who spoke boldly on the matters of Christ and eternity while also caring for tens of thousands of orphans right there in London, his city. He was subject to seasons of great depression, physical ailments, he had severe gout, and the fierce opposition of those who would consider themselves to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. His Godward focus would serve him well in the many such battles and hardships that he faced in life. It is now to you, to each of us, to all of us together, that I commend this great study of God. The contemplation of the glory of God, the pondering on the greatness of God, the rejoicing in our heavenly inheritance, the comfort of the possession of our down payment, the Holy Spirit. It is no secret that our world in many ways is spiraling downward. The absolute truth of God's word is not welcome in the public marketplace of ideas. A repudiation today of God's creative order which is also known in scripture as the crown of his creation. In many ways what I'll be bringing to you in the weeks to come Should not feel very different from what you've already heard from me before or from others elsewhere. It is indeed good for us to be challenged along these lines from time to time to keep from becoming mentally lazy or lackluster in our walk with the Lord. But there is a very specific element that I need to highlight almost as a preface to this entire series. And that is not merely the content of the subject matter, but the nature of the subject matter. There is nothing more pressing for us as followers of Christ than to truly know the Lord and to know him more deeply and intimately. To enlarge our intellect, as Spurgeon said, but also for these timeless truths, to settle deep into our heart. It it is for that reason that the Apostle Paul said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. As we discussed last week, to live for lesser things honestly is to live a Christian life that is highly unsatisfactory. We need to lay a foundation in our lives that will withstand the storms of life that each of us face that will give us a joy even in the chaos around us that will yield us peace when we would otherwise not experience it we truly set ourselves apart from those around us by learning to walk with the Lord and knowing him on the deepest level it is indeed the highest and most noble pursuit one could ever undertake and there is no other pursuit in your life that will yield such fruit and benefit for you and for us collectively do you want more boldness in your life do you desire to develop an inner strength That does not melt away or capitulate considering the challenges that you are currently facing at this moment today. Do you have trouble at times relating to the bold words of the Apostle Paul? Do you remember this statement? He said, we demolish strongholds. It's a fantastic statement. This verse speaks of an overthrow of the very deceptions and the mistruths and the lies that shackle us in life and of course the world that doesn't know the Lord. But let us read this verse in its full context. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Beginning in verse 3, here's what we read. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. Divine power to destroy strongholds. Now isn't that good? But keep on reading. He says, verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to to obey Christ do you see the path to victory in this verse do you see the root of his boldness of the boldness of the truth of the gospel Strongholds are destroyed based on the basis of two things, the knowledge of God, who God is, not who you think he is, who he is, the knowledge of God and also obedience to Christ. That, my friends, is the essence of Christian discipleship. A determination to know the truth about God and the intent to obey the truth that God has revealed. To know the truth, to learn and to live in light of what we have learned. It is for this reason that Jesus told us we are truly his disciples, John 8. If we abide or if we continue In his word. And it is his truth that will set us free. Together, in discipleship, we strive after these truths. So the emphasis and the essence of what we speak to today is our general disposition towards knowing our God. Without question, there is a mental element of knowing God. We need to know the truth about Him. We need to know how He describes Himself in Scripture. But we cannot stop at merely knowing about God. We need to conjoin the information that we know about God with the vital and growing relationship and begin to walk with him, learning to trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. As many of you know, I was blessed to be raised in a strong Christian home with a strong Christian church. I was surrounded by the truth of God and also by those who followed hard after God and who had a testimony to show for it. It was when I was in college that my personal walk with the Lord completely took off. Though imperfectly, I had always sought to obey God and to serve him, But there does come a critical point in our lives for those of us who grew up in a Christian home where we clearly take that baton and we run with it. I discovered the Christian pastors and the authors from hundreds of years ago. Many of them were Puritans. It may not always be true, But I found that those ones had far more substance and depth than what we typically find today. These pastors and theologians, they knew God in a way that I knew I did not. Their knowledge was far deeper, but clearly they walked with Him so closely. And it showed. The book, A Body of Divinity, written in the 1600s, captured my attention when I was in college. It's a systematic study of our great God. It drew me in and I began to know God in a way that I hadn't known him before. Much of it was information, information. A systematic study of theology is a beautiful thing. But these authors impressed upon me two things. And they actually never really said it. It was just obvious as I was reading them. The study of God and the person and work of Jesus is the richest and most satisfying endeavor, and is raining, that I could ever enter into. It's really raining. <laughs> it is the, mo- the deepest and most richest that I could ever enter into. Number two, God is worthy of our best. Such a pursuit cannot be done half-heartedly or on the fly. That's what I learned from them. The way they approached God, the way they approached their study of God, their reflection of God, their worship of God, it was very intentional. I remember one personal reflection found in another work called The Valley of Vision in which the brother who was writing, he bemoaned having to blow out his candle at night to go to bed because he would be separated from God's word for the entire night. It's the 1600s. As we embark on this corporate focus on the glory of God, let us highlight a most astounding statement found in Exodus chapter three. God chose an unlikely candidate by the name of Moses. One who stuttered to be his mouthpiece to King Pharaoh. Now you might know that Moses literally argued with God for a chapter and a half. His argument was that God had picked the wrong person. He reminded him that he could not speak well. As if God did not know. He protested, surely you have the wrong guy. Remember, Pharaoh was not nice and Pharaoh did whatever he wanted and if he didn't like you... But God's response to Moses can be summed up in his self-revelation. As Moses argued... With God, as he protested and pleaded his case and sought to inform God of that which he might not already know about. God had this to say in response, verse 14. Answering the question when they ask who sent you, who should I say? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. You see, of course he was afraid about Pharaoh, but he was also afraid of the people of God. His own brothers. How do they know that I have any right to be telling them anything? God gave the most extraordinarily beautiful response I am who I am has sent you the self-sufficient one I exist apart from anyone and anything else he alone is glorious he has no equal no rival he does not depend upon anyone for their help there was no one before him Moses Tell them that I sent you. When we set our thoughts on the Lord to know him better, we know that there is no one like him. He's not the best. He's the only one. He is completely unique and does not share his glory with anyone else because that would be impossible. His glory is His alone. In knowing God, we must look at the two aspects of that. Knowing about Him and learning to trust Him. Learning to trust Him more deeply and walk with Him in a very experiential way. Knowledge is good, But we need to learn to take that knowledge and that truth about God so that we can obey Him, that we can trust Him, and we can serve Him. It is my observation, particularly in a church such as our own, that sometimes the knowledge of God can be lopsided to the point where we know a lot of facts about God. But we lack a vital walk with him. Now for sure we commend a good grasp of Bible truth. Our middle name by the way as you know is Bible. But we need to take that knowledge and learn to trust him more deeply and walk with him moment by moment each and every day. Because Lord knows we have challenges We have heartaches, we have griefs, we have hurts. All kinds of things to weigh us down or hold us back. It is said that Peter died a martyr's death. They wanted to crucify him, but he insisted on being crucified upside down. Because he was not worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord and Savior. Peter showed us many weaknesses and failures. That's why I love God's word. It never tries to hide the truth about people. We love and we commend these great Bible truths, but we also see their failures and their weaknesses. But when Peter was filled by the spirit of God, he literally set the ancient world ablaze. Now, Peter, in his second letter, said something absolutely profound that we have to keep in mind. This is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Speaking of God himself. God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And the divine means, through the knowledge of Him, who called us to His own glory and excellence. I'd like to read that again. His divine power has granted to us all things not some things not most of it but you on the rest you on your own for the rest all things that pertain to life and godliness through knowing him who called us to his own Glory and goodness. You're going to see the word glory pop up more than you've ever seen before as we go through this study. More on that last part on another Sunday. But do you see what he's saying? We lack nothing. All things pertaining to living life And actually pursuing and succeeding in developing godly character. This is one of my mom's favorite verses. And I can appreciate why. By truly knowing God. And with his spirit living inside of us. We have all that we need to live his abundant life. And escape The stain of sin in this world. It really is actually that simple. Profound but uncomplicated. And this is why the topic of knowing God is so important. And why the glory of God is such a worthwhile study and focus. A.W. Tozer in his book, The Knowledge of God, he said the heaviest obligation lying upon the Christian church today is to purify and elevate her concept of God until it is once more worthy of him and of her. This is from a generation ago. The heaviest obligation lying upon the Christian church today is to purify and elevate her concept of God until it is once more worthy of him and worthy of her, the church. He also said in the same work, you might recognize this one, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because when you think about God, I can tell you right now, that's how you live your life. That's how you will respond to the troubles in your life. It's how you will arrange your life. It's how you will develop your convictions. It's how you will lay the foundation for your life. My prayer for Durwood is that our minds would be so saturated with the knowledge of God that it would run deep that it would be our first impulse our first impulse when challenged to remember the beauty of God's character and his attributes that it would truly strengthen and console us supporting us in the storms of life that we would be quick to encourage one another as scripture tells us with the word of Christ Remember he said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Admonish and edify one another with that, Colossians chapter 3. So I preface this morning the rest of our sermon series with this simple plea. Take the study of God seriously. Be intentional about it and prioritize it. Let the first thing you reach for in the morning be your Bible, not your phone. Take what you learn and meditate on it, and let it expand your trust in the Lord and your obedience to Him. Be humble in what you receive, and watch the Lord transform you through this knowledge. As Scripture says, from glory. The glory, Second Corinthians chapter three. In 1646, the Westminster Divines convened to publish what is likely the most well-known Christian catechism, the Westminster Confession of Faith. The first question, the very first one: What is the chief end of man? Why are we here? Why were we created? What is our highest pursuit? What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's why we're here. Saints, there is no knowledge more precious, more rewarding, more satisfying, and exhilarating than the knowledge of God in Christ. Many times I have pointed you to Psalm chapter 1 verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. To meditate is to read thoughtfully, carefully, to digest what you're reading. To be very intentional in that process. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I'd like you to look at one last passage. If you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2, it's almost in the middle of your Bible, a little bit to the right. We looked at this passage when we talked about the fear of the Lord a year or so ago. What the fear of the Lord looks like. But I'd like to point out in this passage that we have two things brought together that are really important. So Proverbs chapter two, beginning in verse one, we read this. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Treasure my commandments with you. Making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. Verse four, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then and only then will you understand the fear of the Lord. And find the knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God are tied intrinsically together. You will not find the true knowledge of God if you do not reverence God in your heart. And my friends, I just want to tell you as your fellow brother in Christ, we live in the fast food era microwaves, everything's quick, everything's fast, and that's fine. But the knowledge of God will not come to you with a few extra minutes that you set aside each day. What you put in, you get out. If you seek it like silver, if you search for it as for hidden treasures... Then you'll understand the fear of the Lord. And you'll find the knowledge of God. May that be our disposition in life and, of course, in this sermon series. Just a small programming note. Uh, you will see the title slide. Uh, we can go to the next slide. Um, the neat little thing I wanted to do is, uh, for each title slide each Sunday, it'll be a little bit different. Uh, sunsets, sunrises are often, you know, the glory of God. And so, uh, this week's title slide is from Brazil, our time in Brazil. This was looking away from a big gathering of kids' ministry that we had had there in Akitawana in, uh, in Sarita's town. Next slide. Uh, last week, this is from Nigeria. This was my first trip there, 2019, and we were staying in a family's house the night before we were going to go to what would become, the area that would become uh, the sickle cell clinic uh, down there in Cross River State. So each, each week it'll be a little, a little bit something different tied together with uh, the people we partner with around the world. Would you join me for a word of prayer? The sermon might have felt a little bit different today because it was more um, pastoral thoughts if you will versus taking a scripture and expounding it but I felt it very important that we would set the tone that we would have a true disposition towards the Lord of knowing him it is not cannot be a passing endeavor so um i commend this to you and uh, we are so thankful for the good news of jesus christ upon which we stand that's called the gospel the gospel of jesus christ can be summarized very neatly and simply understanding this god is holy and righteous he's perfect morally and you are not i doubt any of you will argue that statement The reality of sin is that it separates us from God. And the Bible talks about the wrath of God resting on us, on sinners. The good news is that the Lord Jesus Christ was sent. The Son of God, he lived among us and he died for us. The Bible says he who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might become God's righteousness. Christ suffered for sinners. When we turn in repentance towards God, when we believe that Jesus died for us, for our sins, when we choose to put our trust in him and in him alone to bring us back to God, to forgive us, to give us life. Jesus put it this way, at that point you you cross from death to life. If you have never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says today is the day of your salvation. Don't put it off another day. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the saints that you have gathered here together today in Durwood Bible Church. Thank you for the good news of Christ, the free gift of eternal life for all those who will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for giving us something so much better to live for. Lord, we have so many distractions, so many discouragements, so many vices that pull at us and tug at us. Help us in our intentionality to know you, to know Christ and the power of his resurrection every day in our lives to be set apart for your use, for your honor, and for your glory. We give you thanks in Jesus' name, amen.